Let's stand for the reading of the word of God, shall we? Are you excited about church today? Amen. God's going to do a great thing in our midst. You know, rarely do I use the word mandatory. It's just rarely in my vocabulary, but every now and then I do. Mandatory is a big word, isn't it? Yeah, it means you just have to do this. So, you know, tonight, as far as this year is concerned, tonight is the most important part of this year so far. So as your pastor, I'm asking you to please take out some time, be here at six o'clock. We're going to treat you very, very well. You're going to be glad you came and you're going to be informed on some things that I'm sure you are interested in. And you're going to be excited about our future as a church. We have some incredible things planned for this church. I thank God for all of the hearts that are so connected to the center of this vision. And we are well insulated with insightful people. Can you say thank God for that? Amen. First Chronicles chapter 29. So while you're looking for that or looking at that on the screen or your smart device, just look over to your neighbor and tell them, I expect to see you tonight at 6 o'clock. I expect to see you. All right. There you go. I'll leave it right there. First Chronicles chapter 29. Verse number 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all, everyone say all, all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen. That's a great revelation when you know that God chose you, not man. Solomon is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man. The palace is for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God. The gold for things to be made of gold. I've prepared silver for things of silver and the brass for things of brass. I've prepared iron for the things of iron and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set. Listen how detailed he is. Glistering stones and divers of colors, different colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Say that word, abundance. Verse three, moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Everyone say over, over. and above. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, Come on in the house. I need you to look at three people and say those words, Come on in the house. Before you sit down, we're going to pray two things. Number one, I'm going to ask T.W. Shannon, who is not here to forgive me, his mother also passed away this week while I was driving to Lubbock. I was going through Lawton, and she just passed away in Lawton. So, Father, we speak to T.W. and the entire family, and we speak peace over their home and over their hearts. You promise that there is a peace that passes all understanding. So that's the peace we speak over their family. Now, Father, as we embark on this word, we've approached it, we've arrived at the threshold, but I can't tell you the excitement that fills my heart because I know what's going to happen in the hearts of these, your people. And I pray, God, you will send an anointing on this particular word that is conspicuous, that will activate things in our life, that will ignite things in our life. And I praise you right now that every generational curse is broken and every generational spirit is dismissed. And we say, Lord, let there be an open heaven over your house. Do what you want to do. We just want to find your agenda and go that way. Everyone shouted, have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, clap your hands one more time and praise him real good, y'all. Come on, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, this is his house. 
High five three people and tell them it's on in the house right now. <laughs> Certain things we have to deal with, you may be seated in reference to Scripture. First of all, we know that Jesus said of Satan that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. See, Satan has an intention. And his intention is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has an intention. And his intention is to give you life and life more abundantly. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. When you consider the enemy and his devices and his plans concerning your life, there are many ways that he attacks the people of God. We find them hidden in scripture in certain places and certain phrases. For example, Psalm 83 and verse 12 tells us that the enemy has said, let us take to ourselves the house of God for our possession. I hope you didn't miss that right there. The enemy has said, Psalm 83, 12, let us take the house of God for our possession. How does the enemy take the house of God? He takes the house of God by attacking the inhabitants of the house of God. In order for something to be possessed, first of all, it must be dispossessed. In other words, you must remove what is in it and replace it with something else. It still amazes me and astonishes me that 1,500 pastors a month resign in our nation. It amazes me that 4,500 churches close every two months in our nation. The enemy seems to be having his way. But I got news for you today. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Somebody shall, we win. Amen. Amen. So do not let the stats confuse you. I'm going to say it again. Never let the stats confuse you. God always has one more move. He's the master chess player. And I think I hear him telling Satan, checkmate. Somebody shout, one more move. David said it like this concerning the house of the Lord in Psalm 84, verse 10. Just one chapter over, David says these words, For a day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Shout it again. Come on in the house. God's serious about his house. He spoke through his prophet Haggai in chapter 1. And he said, I'm going to send a famine in the land. And the reason I'm going to send a famine in the land is because you have put your house before my house. You've paneled your house and left my house undone. Mandatory. Priority. Paramount. God says, don't put any house above my house. I've always said that when we come to church on Sunday morning, we have stepped into the most important institution that we will step in all week long. More important than the courthouse. More important than the schoolhouse. More important than the White House. Is God's house. Touch your neighbor and tell them, welcome to the house today. Welcome to the house. Jesus is so adamant about his house that he is very clear on what his house would be. When he cleans the house, he leaves a staple of dialogue by saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer, not a house of gossip, not a house of judgment. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. My question is, what have we made God's house? See, the challenge of pastoring in this generation 
includes embracing the contemporary current of Christianity while not forsaking the foundation of Christianity. That's the challenge of pastoring. Embracing the contemporary current, yet not forsaking the foundation. That takes great, great equilibrium to do that. So the question is, how do we create atmospheres that are not offensive, yet preach a gospel that is totally exclusive? Boy, y'all missed that there. I'm going to say it one more time. How do we create atmospheres that are not offensive, right? Yet preach a gospel that is totally exclusive. It's not my fault that Jesus says no man goes to the Father except by me. There's only one way to heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ. And that can come across sometimes as very offensive. But Paul said the gospel is a stumbling block for some. And how many of you know it's a stepping stone for us? Hmm. So can there be environments of celebration that does not drift from expressions of consecration? Thus the challenge. Maintaining respect for the things of God while not becoming so austere that we cannot relate to the world we live in. I think I'll read that again. There's a challenge. We must maintain respect for the things of God while not becoming so austere that we cannot relate to the world we live in. Strong. Generation Z is not the baby boomer generation. Hmm. Made a bad mistake this morning. I got up in my usual time at 4 o'clock, began to intercede. After I started interceding, I started getting to the word of the Lord. God started speaking to me, and I went on a tangent. I got distracted. You say, Pastor, how? By studying Generation Z, this generation. It overwhelmed me. And I kept trying to pull out of all that I was reading about those people that was born from 1999 to 2015. I was amazed. Question came back to me. How do we make the house of God relevant without losing its authenticity? How do we make it attractive without losing its sanctity? See, Generation Z is the first generation that historians are calling the post-Christian generation. Shocked me. It hurt me. Because I asked, is the church doing its job? The percentage of Generation Z that identifies as atheists is double that of the entire U.S. population. Did you hear what I just said? I'll read it again. The percentage of Generation Z that identifies as atheists is double that of the rest of the entire generation. They're referred to as the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. We want none to do with you. Hmm. More than half of Generation Z says church involvement is either not too or not at all important to them. It's actually 58% of this generation says that church involvement is not or not at all important to them. One in five says attending church is slightly important. One in five. That alarms me. So I prayed and I said, God, how do we make church a place 
where this generation wants to be a part. Are y'all still in the building? Have I bored you? I hope you're still here. This is all important. The Lord gave a resounding response to me, and it was just like this. There's too much trying to explain God and not enough letting them experience God. I hate to inform most of you, but you're not smarter than this next generation. They are the most intelligent generation we've ever seen in history. They learn faster because information is ascertained quickly through smart devices that they carry in their hand. Everything they need to know is a few moves away. I still believe there are some expressions of God that you will only, only encounter in the house of God. So I say this. This is me speaking, not God. Put it on God. I'm going to say it one more again. Put it on God. Yeah. Keep them, the generation, in the house and let God prove to them that his presence is the answer to every problem and that his plan is the answer to their purpose in the earth. You can't force them to do that. You can just, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. All you can do is just get him in the house and then let God do what only God can do. Let me help y'all. You can't prove God. You are not all powerful. You are not omnipresent. You are not omniscient, but God is. You cannot change a man, but God can. You cannot alter somebody's life, but God can eternally. You cannot do it, but God can. So I heard God tell me clearly, let me. Let me do my thing. Stop trying to prove me. Back up. I heard that psalm hard in my heart today. Let God arise. Let God arise. And his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. For us to let God arise, we got to move out the way. We have to allow him to do what he wants to do. We need to get off of our schedule and get on his schedule. Get off of our agenda and get on his agenda because when you back up, he steps in. If we will let God do what he wants to do in our services, people will be saved. People will be healed. People will be delivered. A generation will be revived. I need about 30 saints that with me right now that believe that God can do everything he wants to do. Tell three people, let God, let God, let God. High five somebody and tell them, come on in the house. Come on in the house. David said, I was glad. Oh, Lord, Psalm 122, verse 1. David said, I was glad, not mad, not sad. I was glad. I'm sorry, I'm going to go country on y'all just for a minute. I was glad, not sad, not mad. I was glad, what? When they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I need to know. If there's any glad people in the building, you glad to be here. Oh, hallelujah. The closer you got to the house, the faster your heart start palpitating. Because you knew today could be a day that I'm going to get a word from God at his house that's going to change everything in my destiny. Somebody shout it again. Come on in the house. I was glad. Tell four people, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I better stop. I'm sorry. Woo. See, I learned early on that the house ain't something you play with. 
See, I was raised in old school church. <laughs> well, when you walked in, even if you wasn't different, you acted different. You respected the house of God. In the church I was raised in, you didn't let kids run through the sanctuary. You didn't let folks bring food up in the sanctuary. You didn't wear a ball cap. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend. I'm not talking about old school. There was a certain respect you had for the house of God. You come in the house of God, you start praying. I've learned something that a house is known. Lord, help me today. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. I've learned something that a house is known by its inhabitants. Mm -hmm. Am I right about it? The house is representative of those who live in it. It should be easy for people to recognize God's house. Why? Because God's in it. Somebody shout, this is God's house. Yeah, you better recognize. Can you say amen to that? See, every house has its own personality. And it has its own personality because of the people that own it and live in it. Or lease it and live in it. You give it its own feel. Many times that's derived from cultures. Hispanic people don't necessarily decorate their house like white folks. I've learned. I just throw that through there. It really doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But it's not only the articles, but the atmosphere of the house. You can walk into somebody's house, and if the couple is fighting, you can feel you can cut it with a knife. There's tension in the atmosphere. Have you ever been invited over to somebody's house and they got in a fight just before you got there? And you can feel it in the atmosphere. I have this mindset that I live by that my house is going to be a house of peace. So that everybody that leaves my house says the same thing. Man, when I was at your house, all I could feel was just peace. But if you're not intentional about it, it's not going to happen. That's why you can't just welcome every spirit up in your house. Y'all ain't hearing me preach today. You better check what your children are listening to in your house. Netflix and chill can jack your house up. Okay, I'll leave it alone. Never mind, I'm sorry. <laughs> so when people walk in here, we don't want them to feel us. We want them to feel him. Because if they feel us, they're going to know immediately there's a lot of disagreement in here. Some folks want this, some folks want that, this person wants that, and they complaining about that, and they happy about that, they mad about that, and these folks are glad about that, and these folks sit over here because they don't want to sit by them folks over there, and these people are in disagreement. Thank God <laughs> that God shows up and says, I'm going to manifest my presence up over your personality. You know what, let's take about 15 sanctified seconds and thank him for showing up today, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for coming to your house. Come on, that's not 15, that's about eight. I said, let's thank him for showing up at his own house. Throw your hands up and shout, welcome to this place, Lord. Yeah. So the house, these three words, house of God, is mentioned 90 times in Scripture. 90 times you find these three words, house of God. When you consider the house of God, you can start in many places. But Exodus 23, 19, God tells Moses that the people are to bring their first fruits to the house of God. That's what the Bible says. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and through chapter 3, the Bible says Hannah goes to the house of God consistently. 
Hannah prays in the house of God. Hannah gets a son by praying in the house of God. And she was not supposed to be able to give birth. But because she was consistent to the house of God, she became pregnant and gave birth, not just birth to anybody, but gave birth to a prophet. A prophet and a leader and a judge named Samuel. Who? Samuel is going to be raised in the same house he was dedicated in. He's going to hear the voice of God in the house where he was born and where he was dedicated. He didn't go anywhere else. He heard the voice in the house. David sins in 2 Samuel 12 verse 20. He repents, washes himself, anoints himself with oil. And where does he go? He goes straight to the house of God. Before he went to his own house, he went to God's house. See, if you'll get it right in God's house, God will help you get it right in your house. David knew the first house I got to visit upon my repentance is the house of God. Because God can fix my heart and I can take a restored heart to my house. Solomon built the house of God. David financed the house of God. 2 Chronicles 29.3, Hezekiah fixed the doors on the house of God so people could come back in. Then he opened the doors that he repaired. In verse 5 of 2 Chronicles 29, Hezekiah sanctified the house of the Lord. He set the house of the Lord apart. Don't treat this house like you treat every other house. Woo! Lord, I mean today. I mean today. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22 through 53. Solomon praised the prayer of dedication over the house that God has ordained him to build. Nine times in these passages, we find these words. In this house or toward this house. The word house is mentioned 20 times in his prayer. He says, this will be a place where your name is. Because we always want to remember it's your house. Why have a house and never mention the owner? Shout it. This is God's house. In verse 29, he says, Lord, let your eyes be open toward this house. Hear it. Lord, every time we come in this house, look at us. Let your eyes be on the house. Number three, verse 30. Hearken to the prayers of the people that come out of this house. Don't only put your eyes here. Lord, help me. But put your ears here too. We want your full attention that when we come in this house and we start praying, we want you to look at us and we want you to hear us. And I came by to tell you today, if you came in here with pain, he sees your pain. If you will pray, he will hear your prayer. In verse 31 and 32, this is what Solomon said. Lord, if there be any disputes among the people, let them handle it in the altar. How many of you know it's hard to stand in the altar of God with your brothers and sisters and gossip about them at the same time? It's hard to be in the presence of God and really tell people how you truly feel. You don't mind saying it right outside in the parking lot, but not right here in the presence. See, the presence of God at the house of God has a way of making disputes become very minor. Verse 33 and 34, he prays like this. When the people, when your people are defeated and we all lose some battles, if they pray in this house, heal them. Boy, this is good stuff, y'all. We all go through times of being defeated, depressed, discouraged. But Lord, when they get to the house and they start praying, heal them. Keep preaching, Pastor Rick. Number six, verse 35 and 36. If there is no production or rain on our land and in our life, if we pray toward the house, help our land and help our life. 
This is the way this man prayed. Seventh part of his prayers, verse 37 through 40. If any disease attacks anyone that belongs to this house, protect them through the house. Can I keep going? Verse 41 through 43. This is the eighth thing he prayed. Even those that are not of this house. That come in as strangers just because they came in the house. Hear their prayer too. Boy, y'all don't hear how this man's praying. Even if they're not of us and they're strangers. But when they get in here and they pray in here. Hear them just like you hear us. Can I keep preaching? Verse 45 and 44 and 45, the ninth thing he prayed, Lord, when we're in a battle, on the battlefield, and we pray with this house on our mind, we will win. Y'all didn't hear that right there. When you're at your house in a battle, pray with this house on your mind, and God gives you the victory in your house that he established in this house. Man, I thought somebody would get excited about that because some of y'all have been fighting some battles, but I came by to remind you, remember what you heard the last time you was in this house. Tell your neighbor, this house will fight for you. The 10th thing he says, verse 46 through 49, he says these words, even, y'all ain't gonna like this one. Tell your neighbor you're not gonna like this one. Even when they sin. This is how he prayed. Even when they sin and end up in a foreign land. If they pray toward this house, forgive them of their sin. Some of y'all don't like that because you want to act like you ain't never sinned. But you have sinned. Any man that says he has not sinned is a liar and the truth of God is not in him. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Keep preaching, Pastor Rick. Even if they sin and it throws them out. And they pray over there toward the house. Forgive them. That's how he prayed. And that's how he dedicated this house. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to back up. This is way off my script. But I'm going to do what the Holy Ghost is telling me to do right now. First of all, I'm going to go to number one. I'm going to say, Jesus, your name is the most important name in this house. Number two, Jesus, I'm going to ask you that you keep your eyes on this house. Lord, I'm going to ask you that you keep your ears toward this house. Lord, I'm going to ask you if we get in fights in this family, let us handle it in this house and not out there in the public square. I'm going to keep on going. Number five, Lord, when we get defeated and we show up at church, heal us and revive us and restore us. Right here at Quest. Lord, if there's no production and rain in our land and in our life, Lord, if we pray with this house on our mind, you will bring production back to our purpose over every family. I'm going to go ahead and pray like Solomon. If any disease shows up in anybody's house at Quest Church, Boy, if I'm you right now, my preacher preaching like this, I'm getting on now. If any disease shows up in my house, because I'm part of this house, you shall be healed in the name of Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Lord, let strangers, when they walk in this house, funny-looking people, people we don't recognize, people we ain't never seen, when they pray, God work a miracle in their life as well. Keep on preaching. I'm going to keep on declaring and decreeing this over quest. Lord, when we're in a fight and we feel like we're losing the battle, if we pray toward this house, we will win. And I speak a winning spirit over every family that belongs to Quest Church. I speak a winning spirit over every single adult that belongs to this church. I speak a winning spirit over every teenager and every child. I speak a winning spirit, overcoming spirit, conquering spirit over every family that belongs to Quest Church. Jump up and shout, we are winners and we winners all the time. Lord, even 
when we sin and we go the wrong way. Lord, I pray that when we come to the house and pray, you immediately forgive us and set us back in the family. That's the way I'm praying for Quest Church today. If you can agree with me on then those 10 prayers, I'm going to ask you to take 15 seconds and praise him like you really want those 10 things in your life. of God is not important then why did Isaiah say in chapter 2 that all nations shall flow to the house of God if the house of God is not important then why did Zerubbabel rebuild the house of God if the house of God is not important then why did Nehemiah fortify the house of God if the house of God is not important then why did Paul tell Timothy this is how you're supposed to behave in the house of God if the house of God is not important then why does the book of Hebrews tell us we have a high priest that's over the house of God if the house of God is not important then why did Peter say in 1 Peter 4 17 that judgment begins in the house of God this is God's house if it's important in the word it ought to be important in your life this house ought to be paramount priority in your life if it's important to God it ought to be important to us shout it one more time come on in the house high five somebody and tell them the Holy Ghost is in the house I'm about done but I'm not quite done I got a few more minutes and I feel the Holy Ghost strong enough to take a lap around the house I'm telling you, this house is sanctified. This house is consecrated. This house is God's house. This house is a house where he can do what he wants to do, say what he wants to say. Shout it. This is God's house. Now watch. There are some things that you should forsake in your life. You should forsake promiscuity. You should forsake codependent relationships. You should forsake soul ties. You should forsake homosexuality. You should forsake lying and cheating and gossiping and hatred. Forsake it. But there are some things the Bible says you cannot escape. Deuteronomy 12 says, take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite that is among you. I'll let you figure that out. Proverbs 1.8 says, forsake not the law of your mother. It's like Solomon knew that men would leave their families. But mama would hold on. I'm just giving you a few things the Bible says you can't afford to, to forsake. Proverbs 27.10, don't forsake your own friend and don't forsake your father's friend. <laughs> Woo! Hebrews 10.24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, but do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is. There's some things you need to forsake. There's other things you cannot afford to forsake. <laughs> Nehemiah 10.39. Can I read it emphatically? And we will not forsake the house of our God. Put it on the screen. Nehemiah 10.39. Say it with me. And we Say it loud. Will not, come on, forsake the house of our God. Here's my problem. We got rid of Sunday night services. Now we done got rid of Wednesday night services. I just need to know when we go into the house. When are we going to the house? One, one time on Sunday morning? Come on. Huh. 
Nehemiah said, we will not forsake the house of our God. I want you to scream it with me. Come on. We will not forsake the house of God. You know what it means in Hebrew? To loosen your commitment to the house of God. Some of y'all used to have a tight grip on the house, but now you've loosened your grip. You've loosened your commitment to the house. It means to relinquish responsibility in the house of God. That means get involved. If you're going to be here, help the house function. Preach, Pastor Rick. We will not forsake the house. What does it mean in Hebrew? Refuse participation with the house of God. In other words, if the house of God is doing something, participate with it. Like when we're doing heart for the house, participate. Preach in the building, Pastor Rick. Bump your neighbor and tell them this house is too important for me to relinquish my responsibility. They didn't hear you. Tell your other neighbor. That neighbor don't like you. Tell somebody else. I love the house too much to loosen my commitment to the house of God. Be real. Some of us get too lax concerning the house. And I came by to tell you, tighten your grip and get your heart back in the house. David said, I have set my affection. I didn't follow my affection. I didn't follow my feeling. I set my feeling. I didn't ask myself, how do you feel about the house? I told myself, this is how you're going to feel about the house. I took my affection and I set it toward the house. Nobody has control of your affection but you. The question is, where is your affection? I have set my affection toward the house of God. Boy, I wish I could preach this whole thing and I can't. But I want to so bad. Because if you ever got a revelation of the law of first mention, my God help me today. If you ever could see how powerful God's house marches through scripture, you wouldn't be scratching your head on Sunday morning drinking coffee wondering if I want to go to the house. You wouldn't come up on a Wednesday night and go, well, it's 32 outside. Pastor Rick, are you being this serious about the house of God? How can I say, how can I say it and be nice? Heck, yes. When I tell you I'm convicted about this, I mean that. You don't understand. I'm 58 years old. I've been like this since I was 16. I don't remember a week going by in my life since I was 16 that I wasn't in the house of God at least one time, even on vacation. I got to go visit a church. Something wrong with me. I'm twisted. I just got to go and feel it. I don't know how people live without it. How can you create rhythm when your syncopation is jacked up? You don't have a regiment. You can't have rhythm. Get some discipline in your life. Oh, my fever is 99 degrees. I think I'll stay home. Get your butt. Get that thing out your mouth and get your butt to church. Start checking the temperature of your heart and not the temperature in your mouth. I'm sorry. I don't play when it comes to church. I never asked my children one time in their life, do you feel like going to church? I can't imagine me going in there, 15-year-old boy, Dustin, would you like to go to church today? It's going to be good. The music's good. They got lights. They got smoke. You're going to like it. Come on, Dustin, please. I can't even think that way. I can't eat. It blows my mind. That's insanity. 
And if you're not ready, when I get ready to leave, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find. Some of y'all don't know how strict I've been in my life. We doing consecration one time. Where's Josh at? Josh need to be in here. Eric, where you at, Josh? Come up here, Josh. Stand by Erica so she can hug you. You're going you're gonna to need it. See, this boy been with me since he was 12 years old. He's 40, 40 years old. Almost 40 or 40. 41, 42. Almost 42. He's been with me since he was 12. How many times you been fired, Josh? He lost count. You can ask my son the same question, he'll tell you the same thing. You know why? Because when I hold consecration services and we're fasting and you slip off and eat a Big Mac, you're fired. Some of y'all look at me like, whoa. No, if we hold prayer and prayer starts at 6 and you get there at 6.05, you're fired. I don't ask them, do you like church? No, I teach them, learn to love church. My greatest words to my spiritual sons is this, you figure it out. Why are you doing that, Pastor? You figure it out. I ain't going to sit here and take time to explain to you why you need to get out the road while there's a big truck coming down there fixing to kill you. You figure it out. Pastor Rick, you really was like that? Yes. Y'all need to thank God I showed up up here at this age. You don't want the 40-year-old version of Rick Hawkins, I promise you. But somehow in this time, we've treated the house of God like an alternative. I'm not here to raise people that live according to the rule. I'm here to raise exceptions to the rule. So the rule says Generation Z, 70% of them don't go to church at all. Well, guess what? We're not the rule. Pastor Rick, come on now. I wanted to preach this whole thing and I can tell I ain't going to be able to. You know what I want you to do? Just high five three people and tell them, come on in the house. Come on in the house. I got one more point. I don't know if I got time. The law of first mention. Sit on down. Let me preach part two. just a minute because I'm really serious about this. I don't know if I want to preach this last point or not and I need the Holy Ghost to tell me. Because this is the point that, you know, if I preach this point, Everett, see, if I preach this last point, you're going to take off running. Seriously. If I preach this last point, Cameron is going to dance. You know? So I don't know if I want to do that or not because if I preach this last point, we liable to tear these walls out without a hammer. No, y'all ain't hear me. If I preach that point right there on that notepad right there, you gonna elbow somebody. And I wanna preach it so bad. We gotta be back here at six. Cause we committed, right? Many people, many people say, Where, when did the house of God ever start? Who's the who big idea? Genesis 28. First time the house of God is mentioned. Jacob is running. Y'all didn't hear me. I didn't say Israel is running. I'm talking about that deceiver. The supplanter. I'm talking about Jacob. 
Not the transformed version. I'm talking about pre-Christ. Everything all right? Ain't anybody getting killed in another round? Lord, touch them in the back. In Jesus' name. Good? Okay. Just want to make sure everybody's okay. Heal them in the house, Jesus. And Jacob's running. He comes to a certain place, and he tarries there all night. He took the stones of that place and set them up for pillows. Now, you know you're miserable when you say, I can sleep on this rock right here. Verse 12, and he dreamed, my God, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth. The top of it reached to heaven, and angels were ascending and descending on the ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac and Jacob. The land whereon you are, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to your children. And your children shall be the, as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west, east, north, and south. And in you and in your children shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back here. For I will not leave you until I have done everything I told you that I'm going to do. And Jacob woke up and was afraid and said, how incredible is this place? There's no, this is none other. Listen now. This is none other but the house of God. First time those words are mentioned in scriptures right there. This is the house of God. And watch what he says. And this is the gate of heaven. The first time house of God is mentioned in scriptures, mentioned, Brian, in relation to the gate of heaven insinuating the idea that when you're in the house of God, you're in the gate of heaven. You will never be closer to heaven than you are right now until you die and go there. Come on, tell your neighbor, welcome to the gate. We are in the gate right now. This house, you are sitting in the gate of heaven. Now, if you've got that revelation, I dare you to express yourself like you are excited about sitting in the gate of heaven. What happens when you're in the house of God, in the gate of heaven? You dream like you've never dreamed before. When you come to the house of God, you should leave here dreaming big. When you're in the house, there you go, Mima. When you go ahead, Mima, I'm gonna run with you. You know about the house, see? When they're 96 and running in the house of God, when you're in the house of God, you ought to dream like you ain't never dreamed before. When you're in the house of God, you ought to see answers, prayers going up and answers coming down. Messengers going up and messengers coming down. That's what happens in the house of God. When you're in the house of God, you start realizing everything you possess is yours. Are y'all in church right now? When you are in the house of God, you start realizing it's all about your kids. Wayne this morning I said you glad you got your donuts back he said Pastor Rick I'm glad my grandkids get to eat donuts that's what it's about it ain't about you it's about your children when you're in the house of God you ought to always be thinking about the generation that is following you Michael Todd today I've known Michael Todd since he was a baby. He used to spend summers at my ranch and they're dedicating that building in Tulsa today. And I heard him yesterday and he said, I just want to thank some people right now. He started listing all the people he wanted to thank. And he said these words right here, Lord help me, Jesus. I heard it in my heart. He said, if you could ever get to where my mama and daddy got during the Azusa conferences, 
we took a whole week off of school because they wanted us in the middle of the presence of God he said I learned what I know now when I was 5 years old 8 years old 10 years old 12 years old it's not a, when you in the house of God your children become paramount to you your children need to see you with your hands up your children need to see you praying in the altar your grandchildren need to see you sweating in the presence of God it does not leave them they can oh, I wish you could hear me prophesy some of you need to exhibit your purpose and passion in front of your generations in the house of God. I wish I could preach this here. He said, and I am with you. If you're going to experience anything in the house of God, it ought to be the presence of God. I am with you means my presence is with you. Wherever you go, I am with you. His presence is what matters. It's not who's preaching. It's not who's singing. It's not the best song. It's not the lights. I don't know how people go to church where you can't feel the presence of God. I am here for one reason today to experience his presence then he said and I will keep you in all places I will preserve you you shall possess your posterity is blessed you have my promise you have my presence and you have my preservation I'm going to keep you because you've learned how to appreciate the house of God. Folks, listen to me. Don't leave this building without experiencing his wonderful presence. So watch this, Isaiah. He wakes up and he goes, was that a dream? Or was that real? And he answered his own question, chief. He said, the presence of God was here. And I didn't even know it. Many of you are in the presence, you just don't know it because you've become so familiar with going to church and not coming to the house. That you wouldn't know it if the Holy Ghost sat right beside you. I don't want to make nobody mad. Yes, I do. His immediate response was, if you're going to do all that for me, you read it in your own Bible. If you're going to do all of that for me at Bethel, he said, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. This stuff is supposed to be going on in the house. And if this is Bethel, his response was this, I will bring 10% of everything you give me to you. Now, for all you non-tithing, hate-tithing Christians, you need to read the dead gum Bible and quit bickering with God. Wayne, God never told him, because I'm going to bless you, because I'm going to preserve you, because your posterity is blessed, because I'm giving you possession, now I expect you to tithe. No, never said that. It was second nature to him. That if you're going to bless me like that, I've got to give something back to you. Here's what we've done, Elder. We've raised a generation of consumers. We come here to see what we can get. Not what we're going to give. But when you really at Bethel, your response is always, what can I? And if you want to blame anybody for tithe, Blame it on Jacob because God took his pattern and he said, I like that. I like that. So from now on, every time I bless people, I expect them to bring their tithe back to my house. Don't blame it on God. Now let me just say something to you. When you're in the house, you're protected. of my being I believe it because I've seen it you'll never convince me 
that if you enter into covenant with God in his house, that the enemy can just do whatever he wants to do in your life. I don't believe that. I've seen it too many times. I've seen a girl that was supposed to be murdered, not murdered, because her mother had a covenant with the house of God. I've seen too much stuff, y'all. You'll never convince me that the house of God should not be paramount in our lives. And some of you have treated the house of God like it's just something else. Instead of putting the priority on it that you should put on it, your heart, your time, your talent, your treasure, everything, first the house, then God blesses my house.